Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. Uh, I've got Regan DeLoggins jo- uh, joining me as well. And uh, we've got a good show. To, uh, we can, we're going to talk about a few things that, you know, frankly, just kind of get after us a little bit, as we usually do. So uh, we're going to do some more of that today. Uh, before I get started, and let me remind people that we are listener-supported radio. Uh, I want to thank the listeners in both Washington, D.C., who listen to us on WPFW, and the listeners in New York, who, of course, listen to us on WBAI. Uh, we need your support. Our stations uh, require uh, your donations to function. So, uh, again, if you're listening in New York, I ask that you go to the pledge line. I ask you to go to 212-209-2950 or go online to give to wbai.org. Um, make a donation of any kind. Do what you can when you can. Uh, become a buddy. Do it on a, uh, on a time basis. Uh, but support the station any way that you can. And if you do it in the name of this radio station, or this program, I'm sorry, then uh, we greatly appreciate that as well. If you're listening in Washington, D.C., I ask you to go to that pledge line, which is 202-588-9739, or go online to wpfwfm.org and follow the prompts to make a donation that way as well. Um, look, these are these are great stations that allow uh, folks like Regan and I to come on the air, offer a native perspective to, to issues that you may be very aware, well aware of. Look, we don't necessarily always bring you something you've never heard, but I guarantee we do bring you a uh, perspective that you haven't heard. So even as, as we talk about things you may have been um, inundated with or, or or certainly been made aware of we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do that today in fact i'm gonna offer you a perspective on something you probably have not considered before um but uh, first let me uh, uh regan are you with us i'm no, hoping I'm y'all there. can hear me now i i like that you brought up the fact that sometimes we talk about things on the show that maybe folks have already heard or maybe already um uh, or maybe know a little bit about and also we bring up topics sometimes we uh we revisit topics like you know today is a topic that we're you know we are going to touch mascots a little bit again and it's something that we bring up often and i think that's something that's important to clarify sometimes we have to talk about these issues over and over again because they keep happening over and over again and so we're just continuing to talk about these larger um you know larger narratives of interconnectedness when it specifically relates to indigenous issues well yeah and 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 again we do need to bring uh, you address these again because not just because they make the news cycle but the way they make the news cycle and sometimes we have to address specific absolutely um language that is used in some of this stuff and, and of course what i what we're really talking about here is the cleveland baseball team changing its name to the guardians and more importantly than that, I mean, for many of us, is the fact that white people are losing their minds over this. I mean, really? this was coming. <laughs> Everybody knew this was coming. Cleveland said they were changing the name. And and yet when they pick a name that, frankly, does have relevance to the city, they have these sculptures on these bridges as you enter into Cleveland that, that have mm-hmm. always been there. You know, or, I'm sorry, but they've been there for a long time. And they've been always referred to as the guardians of the city. So the fact that they use the guardians... Um, is is something that is relevant to the city, and there's and there's no problem with that name. But that but there are people who are, are I mean, some of the the language that I've heard, and and one of the things that really bothered me, and I'm gonna re- run this one at you, Regan, is I heard somebody say, our our beloved Cleveland Indians have been laid to rest. Uh, I'm sorry, gross. that just pisses me off. I mean. Especially, again, in light of these, we're, we're finally getting recognition to something we already always knew was, was that the, there were these mass graves, these unmarked graves at residential schools. So even in the news cycle where, there, where people should be appalled over the discovery uh, of, these, of these, these graves, where our people were not laid to rest, they were dumped in unmarked graves. And these were yep. children who are you know, basically the, the children who were the peers of our grandparents and our parents and our great grandparents. I mean, many generations, you know, it, it goes back. And even with that news cycle, you will have some white person or, you know, I take it back, some non-native person or even what I heard was, again, one of these people who say, well, I'm really, in fact, this person said they was Choctaw. 
<laughs> ironically. And, Love that. Yeah. You know, oh, and I'm and I'm Choctaw. And you look at the profile on on. Uh, and look, I know you can't judge somebody just by the way they look, but they live in Cleveland. I mean, that's their their life is there. <laughs> they are not part of a of a. Of, they are not. You know, this, we get into this whole debate over apples, pretendians, you know, all these other things that these words yeah. that get put out there. Look, if if you have native ancestry, then however that happened, it is what it is. I mean, it's it's that's a DNA thing. But that's not the same thing as being native in terms of culture, ideology, um, community, your, your community, community, devotion to your to, to that whole line of family and ancestors. So, I mean, when when somebody tells me that their that their grandmother was a Cherokee princess, I beyond the princess. Oh God! I mean, I do say, well, so what, are you? Do you consider yourself native? And and then then we'll have a conversation. The first thing that I ask anybody who claims native ancestry, oh yeah, who's your family? And that's not a test. That is the way cultures for eons have identified and and come to know somebody you 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 know them by their family sometimes you know their family and and so it's not a test but oftentimes you'll you'll hear somebody say well i don't really know okay so you don't yeah. really have that connection so anyway some of those are the voices that we hear in a lot of these mascot debates these people who claim that to be a 16th or a 32nd or 164th of of something and so they they feel like they have the right to speak as a native voice on the issue but, but I but think I it's so tell you. frustrating. I think it's even so, frustrating. I just want to add to this. Um, I think it's really frustrating when I find it obviously very frustrating when people claim indigeneity. But I think it's really important when people claim through these fractions where they're like, I'm one sixteenth. I'm one. For for folks to understand that those fractions are based in blood quantum. Blood quantum is a racist and colonial system. It's not something that it should be. You know, it, it's a problematic system that's used to actually to to water away indigeneity. Um, it's all part of the killing the Indian and saving the man. So those are not something that's not something you want to tag onto your identity being like, I'm one sixty fourth Cherokee. Well, I mean, and even if you claim to be full blooded, it's still that whole you're right. It is absolutely a mechanism to, you know, for for not just diluting that blood quantum, but but for yeah. but for essentially characterizing people as as somehow less native or or it, it is it's a method of extinction and there's no question about yes exactly that. it's a method of extinction that's wonderful wonderful phrase so even the former president of the united states weighed in on this mascot thing and what he suggested and this is one of the reasons that i think regan and i have to address this is that it was that there were native americans as he put it all over the country who who are terribly upset that that cleveland changed the name well, there's two right here who are not upset that Cleveland changed the name. Just so, <laughs> just in case that moron who used, to, who used to be the president. I mean, look, this is something that have been, that has been protested and demonstrated for decades. I mean, this is, and it's it's been done with with um, with with football and, and other sports as well. But certainly, yeah. Cleveland has had a a strong movement for many, many years. And of course, they also try to say, well, Cleveland was named after one player who was who happened to be Penobscot or something like that. And you know, even that's, most of that is no. just BS. I mean, uh, so I mean, whatever, what, it doesn't really even matter if that was true. Because- Yeah, it doesn't even matter because it's yeah. still inappropriate. <laughs> it's still inappropriate. You know, and this I, is- you know, This is the, just the, the I, I mean, it's almost, you know, crazy that we're still having this conversation in 2021. I mean, it's it's incredible to me. You know, I was I was reading about this obviously when I, when they when they released the name, they're changing it to the Guardians, and and like John said, you know, it's um, in reference to these huge sculptures that are like known as the Guardians um, of the city, uh, and it, you know, it makes sense. It play it pays homage to the like Art Deco history of Cleveland. Like there, it connects to the city, and you're like, yes, this is. Um, this is a relatively wholesome team name that is not offensive. And it's crazy to see how many people are upset by this. And it really just shows that so much of the American identity, so much of even sports identity 
is really ingrained in this bastardization of indigenous people, this, you know, stereotypical aspect or view of, of indigenous people. And I think what really frustrated me when you told me about, um, about this, this quote that the, the Cleveland Indians have been, have been laid to rest. I find that so, so painful because what it does is it mirrors the policy of killing the Indian. Like no matter how we are portrayed, even when we are no longer a mascot, even in the death of that mascot, we're still portrayed as something that is dying or dead. And it just, it's an incredible, it's so metaphorical and I can't imagine why there isn't more backlash to that kind of language being used in reference to indigenous people. Like it's just, it's absurd that this is the language that was used, that we are dead or the mascot is dead. Uh, And it really just shows how Americans view indigenous people as people of the past. Well, and I I, I liken this to uh, people who abuse rape as a metaphor or, or slavery as a metaphor. Look, those circumstances are so heinous that when you suggest that, you know, that uh, that somebody has been raped only is a metaphor, it, it just yeah. does not just uh, an ins- a disservice. It is it is belittling to the frankly, the thousands survivors. Of, of, of women who who and some who didn't survive, uh, you know, this and other kind people of as well. You know, yes, we yes. can't and we can't ignore that all people of all genders are targets of sexual assault. Well, and, and I say the same thing about slavery. I mean, when when I hear people liken something that's not even close to slavery and I'm not to suggesting there aren't yeah. th- there are not uh, places that you can liken, you know, somebody's, you know, condition of life to slavery. But when I hear that abused in such a way, it, it does such a disservice to the people who had who have had been enslaved in and suffered, you know, that that atrocity in such a way. So, you know, uh, that me more than anything when I when I heard that because you're absolutely right it 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 really does suggest that that you can minimize the fact that native people were killed in very very high numbers I mean we had a population that was diminished by you know by probably close to 90 to 95 percent of our population I mean they called it depopulation this was part of the agenda to, to eliminate us and 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 the fact that even when they they shifted gears and tried to put a stronger emphasis on assimilation you know it, the, the amount of death that took place in the schools that were responsible for that assimilation just shows that there was such a fine line between killing us and uh, and killing our identity and we can't ignore that this this narrative of of you know this this haunting rather this haunting of, of high indigenous death rates is still seen contemporarily. You know, we talk often about how indigenous people um, are targeted for police violence as well, how indigenous people um, have the highest rate of, um, of suicide within, uh, within any demographic. You know, we can't ignore that these larger systemic issues related to indigenous death are still happening in, in numbers too big to ignore, but are somehow so easily ignored. So when we use well, metaphorical and, and the, I, terms I, I wanna, like, I, I want to specifically we, mention youth youth suicide because I, I yes, think exactly. this is the one that is, that is to me among the more the most excruciating statistics is when you look at I mean look youth suicide used to be it wasn't even kept track of because it was such an anomaly that you know for the most part you know on a national basis they never even kept track of youth suicides until. The, there became such a high incidence of youth suicides amongst native peoples, and in particular on native territories, that it, w- it no longer be, could be ignored as just an anomaly. So, you know, and when you think about what these images do within a dominant culture and what it's doing to, to children in particular, and even as they're wrestling with perhaps an older generation that, that didn't find this, the same level of events to it, and, and we experienced that to some extent. And you, the fact that we still have, have, have children who are still trying to reconcile this imagery with the lives, you know, especially, and again, let me, let me spell it out for those who aren't getting this. If you are going to suggest that you named your baseball team or your football team or your hockey team or your basketball team after Native people as some sort of honor and respect, 
and yet fail to see the conditions of life that most native people live in under then then that's just that is, isn't even hypocrisy that is mockery in the worst sense of the word because you are claiming and then you're claiming that identity for yourself look what i'm hearing out of these folks in cleveland and, and thereabouts what they're saying is that you know that they have that they're calling themselves as fans the tribe and they're calling themselves you know as as having you know lost this thing that has been taken from them their that their identity has been stolen and i'm just i'm sorry this is just this takes the offensiveness of of uh, native mascots to a level that that angers me and it isn't just offense i'm not just hurt by it i'm angered by it you know what i was just thinking and i wonder if you have the answer john because i i didn't even consider this but at the press release when the um when the cleveland guardians said they were now the cleveland guardians were indigenous people even invited was there even a land acknowledgement was there i'm realizing now that i actually do not know if there was even an attempt to reconcile with local communities or to invite local indigenous communities to be a part of this discussion and and i'm now realizing how important that would have been in terms of trying to at least portray a performative intention of of rectifying the harm that these team names have had on our communities and i'm wondering if that even happened do we know i i don't think it did and I, but i can't say for sure but i will say is that there was a fairly well produced um video that tom yeah hanks tom hanks voice and there is nothing in there that acknowledges native people but he goes at he he takes pains to go through the 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 legacy of the Cleveland Indians. I mean, he does he, he makes overtures to that history without ever addressing what why it was problematic. And, oh my god, and I that's found so that angry. disturbing. It is. You know, look, I and I, I kind of like Tom Hanks. I'll, I'll admit, I kind of like yeah, and I was so disappointed <laughs> that he would do this and you know, and and I see this all the time in schools. Even when schools um, change their mascots, they really have to make such overtures to the the mascot that they're retiring. You know, they won't say that we're we, you know we're abandoning it. They have to make it sound like, you know, it is just as they have to do it with such honor and dignity as they retire this mascot. And they have to assure, oh. look, we're not going to change any of the, the, you know, the trophies that we have. We're going to, we, we really do respect and honor the legacy that we, we carried while we were calling ourselves Indians or savages or whatever else. And you know, they go at such length to without really ever adequately addressing why the problem, you know, why it was problematic in the first place. I, I'm looking, I just wanted to check online briefly and I haven't, you know, obviously I haven't double checked this because I'm just looking, but I don't see any mention of any indigenous people being even invited. I mean, mind you, I wouldn't want to be invited, but like somebody mm. might, but, or even no, to have Cleve a conversation. in Cleveland, I mean, some of those guys have been really passionate about this and I think this exactly. would have been a good opportunity for them to celebrate to some extent. Or even like, I, so I'm kind of shocked right now finding out and making this realization right now on the air that there were no indigenous people invited to this or even to, to, and that they didn't even talk about why they changed the name. And I, I I can't, I'm actually incredible. I'm shocked right now. That's in, that's so, you know, honestly, that's bold. That's so bold (laughs) to just ignore why the name is being changed, not even mention it in the press release and to, and to, to completely erase the history of why this is necessary for indigenous communities why it's necessary for the general public to not have access to a team that is named the indians oh this is incredible well and i think it also would have you know it would have at least addressed some of the 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 backlash that they're getting from from the you know the name change and yeah i i think it's i think it's just as important in to to hear those voices telling you why you need to change the name but I think it's just as important to understand why you did change the name. And, 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 I, and I think even as schools that are, are going through this, I think students really are entitled to know that if a board votes to, to retire or end, end the native mascot, 
that that the kids have a chance to understand it and and frankly be they should be proud of the change and and I think where you do have a student body that is engaged in some of these debates, that's that's what you've seen. You you've seen kids that ha have really celebrated a name change because look, it's happening on essentially on their watch while they are students in this school. And yes, and I think it's something that that is worth celebrating. But if you don't understand why it needs to be changed, and and that you as a student in in a school that that has a that is going through this process that you are you are a stakeholder and and that you can i mean one of the things that that, that i always bring up when i'm talking about this this mascot issue is is the current um national call for social justice and racial equity and and i think when when you're 15 years old in high school you may not feel very impactful on these national calls for social justice or racial equity, but when but to think that that a student can can be in high school, even not just a graduating senior, but a, but can be in high school and say, hey, when when that national call went out, I was a part of a part of supporting our school changing changing the name to show true respect and to show and 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 to and to restore dignity. I think that that's a positive thing. I agree. Um, I'm. Oh, I'm still a little I'm still a little baffled as to why uh, why things are being handled the way that they are so callously. But um, but I agree there should be some sense of pride and uh, more importantly, not even pride. There should be this is an opportunity to educate, which is really what it always boils down to. This is an opportunity to educate and reach a large audience and really hammer out why this is a problem and why things need to change. And it's just a missed opportunity. Well, and, and and the part that bothers me, and and I even I even confronted this with um, a row of pecs, um, uh, eliminate or, or exterminate all the brutes, uh, and I actually mm -hmm. talked about this with 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 Roxanne when she, when she was on the show, is even when there is an attempt to somehow celebrate native existence, you know, the, the con native contemporary native people. It's always done in a way to, to celebrate those who have somehow achieved something in the other system. You know, and exactly. you know, this, this is a, a kind of a loose uh, way of, of addressing the fact that on the Canadian side, the governor general, which is the, mm -hmm. the representative of the queen of England in Canada, I mean, this person is the representative of the queen. And they put a native person in there. I, I think she was Mi'kmaq, if I'm not mistaken. No, um, she's uh, she's Anuk. Oh, was she? Yeah, Mary Mary uh, Mary Simon, right? Mary Simon. Yeah, she's Anuk. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. The AFN chief. That's uh, that, okay. I may be, but anyway. So they put a native person in, into this position, and and of course the the part that that bothers me is you, the role of this person is to swear her allegiance to the queen. Not to her people. I mean, look, it'd be nice for us to think that when Deb Haaland becomes the, the Secretary of Interior or, you know, Sharice Davids becomes a congressperson uh, or, or, or whatever, that, that that background is going to, you know, have a big influence on, on how they address policy. But, but at the end of the day, we have to remember who these people work for. And, but that's what gets celebrated. You know, and oftentimes we will see the... We want to, you know, we want to put a, a native face out there. It's it's somebody who served in the military or somebody who has worked for government or something like that. Rarely will you see somebody who has been on the front lines of, um, you know, uh, of, of a protest or, or 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 the voices that have been out there to call for these name changes of, of professional sports in high schools. So I'm 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 oftentimes bothered by how the again the dominant culture out there elevates native who they who among native people that they decide to elevate for you know for some sort of iconic status in the you know in the american or canadian whatever you want to call it um culture it, it, that i i find that bothersome yeah I, I you know when when um when i saw that mary simon had been um would now serve as the the governor general of Canada. I was like, what does that mean? Because, you know, I didn't know everything. I don't know everything about Canadian politics. And it blew my mind that in order for her to have that position, 
Queen Elizabeth had to approve the appointment. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I couldn't believe, first of all, that's just absurd that monarchies still exist and that this is acceptable. But also I agree, there was like a part of me that was so disheartened to know that this and woman, you know, who has had this very long career, um, mostly in service to her people, would take on this role that would be, I mean, obviously in service to her people through a very, like a political minded career trajectory. So let's not ignore that. Nonetheless, mm-hmm would take on this role in which, yes, there's a swearing of allegiance to the crown. And that blew my mind. I just don't understand. You know, we're very critical of Deb Haaland, um, you know, as, you know, as this like up and, you know, I guess I'm going to say up and comer, even though she has had also a very, very long career in settler politics. You know, she, we really see a lot of people in community to look up to her and, we are critical because obviously we don't, I think John and I do not agree with indigenous people participating in settler colonial politics. We don't see the benefit. And I, you know, there are many reasons why. And I felt like this appointment of Mary Simon was similar. And it's like this Canadian uh, on the Canadian side, you know, of this so-called border. And I wonder if community there, first nations communities or if uh, Inuit communities in so-called Canada are, are also really elevating this status as we see, uh, indigenous communities here elevating Deb Haaland or are they you know pushing back being a little bit more resistant to it and honestly I'm not sure it's something I look forward to uh, kind of reading up on and maybe we can check back in next week but I was so disappointed to see that that was even a role that an indigenous woman would ever take on yeah and and the response has been a mixed bag just like you know just like on this side at least thus far but you know getting to your real point though look if you want to prepare a table for us to be able to sit at to confront and address and have a political solution to some of the conflicts that we have that's one thing but if you're going to just take one of our people and then say okay now they represent us so that's it's it it ends up being a token gesture you know so and and that's where i find it problematic look if we have a, a a prime candidate to to carry our voice you know or or the voice of a, of a specific territory to Washington or to Ottawa or to London, wherever, then that's fine. But that's not what this is. You are literally taking from our people an individual and then, and then suggesting that because they are native, that we've been given something. And, you know, and, and I, I go back to Mitch McConnell once, you know, addressing reparations and suggesting what do you need reparations for? You had a you had a black president, yeah. And, and he and he literally said, "We gave you a black president." It was something along those lines. I'm thinking, so that's what you think? You think by by putting a person of color in a position that you somehow absolved yourself of of not just hundreds of years of of oppression, but the oppression that continues this very day. And and it's not like also. It's not like they are par- participating in some sort of resistance against the settler colonial state. The people of color who do participate in these politics are participating in the politics of settler colonialism. So this isn't a win. This isn't in lieu of reparations. You know, like we can't just like this. As you said, it doesn't absolve the larger issues at hand. In fact, it just cements them. It cements that tokenization are these performative gestures and and. Uh, are often used as performative gestures in order to placate the general public. And it's, just, it's I mean, it ties back to what we were just talking about with the Guardians, the fact that Indigenous people weren't there at the press release. It just shows that the intention of changing the name is not because um, the, the Cleveland Guardians are now wanting to be accountable to the Indigenous community or wanting to have conversations, large, you know, unpack these larger, um, these histories of racism within mascot issues. Nope, we're just changing the name because it's time to change the name. We're not even going to address it. You know, it, it, these are these narratives are interconnected. They participate in larger in larger systemic issues. It's it's incredibly frustrating. Well, and I want to address two things that that you you uh, just mentioned. You know, the the one is is that in many ways, you know, these appointments, you know, even these elections, they they demonstrate for the for the for the colonial powers what they attribute as success in the assimilation process. I mean, look, you, you don't get into these positions if you haven't 
conformed enough to be in that position. And, you know, and so this is where I, I find a lot of this stuff, even as we're, we're addressing things like residential schools, and, and that it, problem is not done being addressed on the Canadian side. That's why these these discoveries of these graves are, are happening. And it hasn't even really begun on the U.S. side. But but for either side, for, for Canada or the United States or the, the queen herself through her, you know, her governor general, to apologize for residential schools or to make some overtures acknowledging. I see Justin Trudeau with the tears in his eyes and that kind of stuff. If you go through that kind of demonstration and then still maintain that we have been forced into this subjugation and submission as as U.S. citizens or Canadian citizens, then what you're really doing is in many ways you're, you're saying that, yes, our process for assimilation was, was wrong, but damn, it was successful. And that's where I, I, I if we can't confront that, that, that Native people still exist, many of us still maintain our resistance to colonization. We still maintain that we are a distinct people, that we know we are not U.S. citizens merely of Native descent. No, we are not Canadians merely of, uh, of, of Native descent. We, we, and in fact, one of the problems that I have with the word indigenous, in general, the, the word is fine, but in many ways, the way that word has been interpreted is that indigenous peoples are, are the descendants of a people prior to colonization. And Ugh, I hate and while, that. Well, I am a descendant of my ancestors. I am those people. I'm not a descendant of the people. I'm a descendant, exactly. descendant of my ancestors, but I am still those people. I'm not merely a descendant of those people who once lived. I am those people and and you yeah, are those people. And and I think that's what that what bothers me. And this may be subtle. Maybe a lot of people just don't get it. They don't they don't see the distinction. But you know and and that's where a lot of this this tension exists on things like the mascot issue because there are many people who could see it and say, oh, I don't I don't see the problem in it." And and then then you explain is you know the the best example I can always give for the, this mascot issue is blackface. And it pretty much everybody acknowledges that blackface is wrong. I mean, of course. although we keep finding Actually, these pictures maybe not. Of, of people. No, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, in fact, in fact, we, we know that blackface is wrong and that there is a, 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 a history, a horrible history of blackface in entertainment, in media, and we still see it all the time. So, in fact... A lot of us know, but there are plenty of people who think that blackface is totally appropriate, and those people are racists, including but, uh, Justin again, Trudeau. Even, even, well, yes, he was caught. You know, he there's pictures that surfaced, uh, resurfaced of him in blackface, and and of course they apologize and they try to do all their damage control. But the fact that they try to do damage control is somewhat of an acknowledgement that it was something that they sure wish they didn't do. But the problem yes. is mascots still aren't there. We still have white people and and uh, other non-native people who think it's fine to don, you know, uh, headdresses, you know, turkey feather or chicken feather headdresses. We look yeah. when, when the Catholic Church you know, uh, made Kateri uh, uh, de Gaguita a saint, a saint, which oh, yeah. is problematic on a bunch of there were nuns in Rome wearing these yellow and blue and red, you know, uh, mundane, like really crackerjack box headdresses. Nuns oh in, their, in, their, in their habits with, with headdresses on. Those pictures surfaced on the news and I'm thinking, man, that is just dreadful to, to see this stuff. But the fact that, yeah. that you know, and even, even makeup. I mean, I've seen these, these guys at, at, at Cleveland baseball games in complete red face so you can acknowledge that blackface is probably inappropriate but 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 there's nothing wrong with red face yeah and you know i think it's always difficult to make you know uh comparisons synonymous with one another you know like blackface is its own horrible issue uh, you know and and the anti-blackness that has existed um for it, for the entirety of this country's existence is so important, something to acknowledge and really discuss. 
And so I, I hate to, I don't, you know, it's something that I try to shy away from is making um, comparisons synonymous, but there are things that hearken to that conversation when we talk about red face. And it's a, it's, it's really disappointing to see that people can't just understand that we don't even need to make the comparison that it's like blackface, that brown face or red face is like blackface. We just need to be able to say, this is a problem. This is disrespectful. This is racist. And therefore you should not have to do it. And the amount of people that still fight that is it, it's Jenny, it's a, absurd. And of course we see the bastardization of headdresses. We see the bastardization of indigenous regalia in a number of different settings. Hearing that nuns were wearing that during um, that canonation is absurd, um, but also not surprising considering that the, the, there is a, a, um, a history of playing native, of being, of playing Indian. Uh, there's so much scholarship on it, how being and adopting indigeneity it has, is always, has been an acceptable part of the American identity. And it's interesting to see how it's leached out into, into a global identity, into a global phenomena, as we saw with apparently these nuns at the Vatican. You're, I know you're gonna look up the picture now. And, 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 of course <laughs> I am, it's gonna kill me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna laugh oh, to keep from crying. I'm gonna laugh yeah, to keep from it, crying. Yeah, no, it's pretty terrible, <laughs> it's pretty terrible. Uh, Regan, I want to talk about something else too. I, I want to mention, and I know, look, Simone Biles is all over the news, and the you know the right has lost their minds. In fact, I'm sure that many of these people who hated the idea that some of these black athletes have taken over sports like gymnastics are the ones who are crying the loudest. And you know, for one thing. Simone Biles owes nothing to the United States. To okay? anyone. I mean, to, to anyone. You know, the work, you know, the, the, the fact that she reached the elite status that she reached is on her. And she had to go through plenty of abuse, including some of the sexual abuse associated with that yes. Larry Nassar and, and, and so much else. I mean, what, what these, and oftentimes these children have lost their childhood you know, to, to, you know, for a variety of reasons, not just, you know, sometimes it's overzealous parents. I'm not saying that's the case here, but I mean, some, you know, it's, you know, somebody recognizes a talent and they exploit that talent in an individual because they, they see an opportunity to, to live vicariously through, you know, through these children, literally, you know, but this, this idea that she got to a place and, and a couple of things I got to mention for one thing, she does the most difficult routines that that any gymnast has ever even contemplated. Some of the things that that she has accomplished are you know, were relegated as a, you know, deemed impossible. You know, literally in the, in the past. deemed impossible. She has been scored less for doing things that are riskier. Like it's incredible. That's the, the point that, that I want to make. She has not been given the the benefits of the degree of difficulty on much of what she, uh, what she does. So she's doing these ultra difficult, death defying, I would say, um, maneuvers and 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 moves. And she does it because that's the envelope that she has pushed as she was going, you know, as she was excelling in the sport. And and again, completely being denied the proper degree of difficulty that should have adjusted scoring. So the fact that she has has demonstrated that she's head and shoulders above everybody else in that sport um, is actually been minimized by the fact that uh, you know that she was probably never given the scores that she actually should have should have earned. So there's that. Now, this this whole Olympics in Tokyo or in Japan has been a bit of a debacle, uh, and you know, the the COVID stuff, uh, you know, and the whole the whole bit. It has really been kind of kind of a crazy. Thing. And I, frankly, I wasn't even watching it. Uh, I don't think I've watched a single event from the Olympics, and 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 I've, I've kind of lost my taste for for much of you know sports because of how it's what it's become, but. Yeah, but I do they're know quite, they're quite horrible. They destroy communities, and it, it's yeah. They're and the Olympics are are garbage. Yeah. So when when I understood that Simone Biles was having difficulty, I immediately thought that that it might have been a psychological issue that she was. And I didn't know. Look, they have terms. They they call it the twisties. They have uh, all these other terms that the that you know people in the sport 
know exists, that this acknowledgement that you essentially lose it. You, you lose your ability to have the confidence to do certain moves. You lose your, your orientation even as you're doing some of these moves and, and all of that stuff. But I immediately likened it to a number of people that I know. I'm, I'm, I'm Mohawk, Gunyakahaga. And among the things that, that Mohawks and other Native people are, uh, have become known for is walking high steel. Now, most people in New York City and Washington and some of these, these places who, who see you know, the, these major con- construction sites, they are completely unaware that there are men walking eight-inch steel beams. They are climbing columns thousands of feet above their heads. Um, and yes, they are tied off today. They weren't always tied off with safety straps yeah. and that kind of stuff. But, but the, the ease with which you can walk across these beams is what makes the, the, the job go smooth. And, and, and frankly, Native men that got involved, uh, and ultimately Native women as well, got involved in, in working these high steel construction jobs really made a lot of impact on that industry. And, and that's why Native Absolutely. people, look, bringing in Native crews were often a way that they could bring a, jo- a job on time that was perhaps you know, suffering you know, with, you know, with, with meeting deadlines and that kind of stuff. But I know personally people who, men in particular, who went up on the steel and one day decided they couldn't do it anymore. They took, they, yeah. they took a step and all of a sudden realized that they, they were scared. They've been doing it for years. Frankly, some of these guys were doing it even under the influence of of alcohol and and all kinds of stuff, all the confidence in the world. But one day they get up there and they freeze. So I immediately likened what what high steel workers, you know, who literally end their careers with with reaching this this mental impasse. Obviously, they had the physical traits to do this stuff. But they, they reached this mental impasse, and I immediately liken that to what Simone Biles was going through. You know, I wonder, I wonder if this is an impasse or just a pause. You know, I think something that, that people are really talking about right now is, you know, the prioritization of mental health for, um, for athletes and specifically for black women athletes really uh, embracing and being like, no, I need a mental health break. You know, we, we saw um, something similar with uh, Naomi Osaka, who, who also mm-hmm. took, you know, a mental health break. And, 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 you know, we're seeing, we're seeing, or even with the Shikari Richardson, who uh, was the US sprinter who was denied entry into the Olympics, um, because she tested positive for THC after being triggered by a, uh, by someone interviewing her asking about the death of her mother and, and using THC to cope. And uh, which many of us do, um, including myself. And and so it, it's an, it's incredible to see like these black women taking care of themselves and and really prioritizing their mental health and being shunned or being um, attacked or being, uh, you know, really just like put down by the media for choosing themselves over a sport. And in, I, I find it so degrading, especially because these are these are these are black women who are incredible athletes. You know, they have transformed uh, history. They have transformed history. They will be forever um, remembered in such in such incredible ways. And for them to take a step back and say, "I need a break. I need to take care of myself," is should not be de- should not be demonized, but celebrated. Should be celebrated because they know what they need and what's best for themselves. And it's more important than winning a medal at. Uh, at at a problematic event in the first place. So I wonder if this is, I'm stepping away for forever, if this is just, I'm taking a pause. And you know, I, I hope that whatever the decision is, is that it's the one that she wants to do and it makes her happy. But I'm, you know, I, I think that the conversations about mental health, um, at, specifically for black athletes and black women athletes right now is really important. And I, I hope that these conversations continue. I think that they can make an impact on a lot of people's lives. Well, and, and again, I, I, when I hear the criticism that, that comes, you know, I, I also recall when when Dave Chappelle walked away from comedy and, and, and yeah. part of the reason he did was, you know, obviously his life wasn't at risk, but he, he reached a place where he had to rethink what he was doing, who was his audience, what they were actually laughing at. And and I I got it. I got it from from the very start, especially I think he was trying to pitch a, um, a sitcom that 
or he did pitch a sitcom that Fox was going to pay for. And, and and so when you hear some of that story, and you know, and look, and, and the criticism that he got, you know, and, and as if he had like lost his mind. Look, in this situation, you know, as much as there there are mental health issues with it, none of that should be made light of and, and make it sound like, oh, he's crazy for walking away or that Simone Biles is crazy for not. You know, no, yeah, look, that that that's. That stuff, I mean, I, I'll tell you, it just pisses me off because, you know, uh, you know, at least with Dave Chappelle, he walked away knowing that that when he got, you know, what, I guess when the industry got right, he could come back. And and we hope I mean, look, there many people hope they can see Simone Biles perform again. But if she doesn't, she's given more than enough of her life. She's oh, given truly. more than enough to the sport. And for anybody who wants to, you know, rave about Olympics or representing the United States or any of that, she's done it all. And and I, I think the, the idea that that and I hate to say this, but there are some people who watch some of these sports that have that kind of NASCAR mentality. They watch some of these things that where people are trying to do impossible things. And and they 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 relish the the fall, you know whether it's the, the skater or the gymnast, and and look there is nobody who put more at risk than Simone Biles because of the the degree of difficulty in in the in the you know in the in her performances. I I truly you know I also want to talk about and since we're talking about this and and we're relating it to mental health mental health I think that it's important that we talk about also briefly at least, um, how she will be criticized for this decision in the same way, of course, because she's a, a black woman, but then white athletes will be celebrated um, in the same way that, um, that oh, what was her name? Um, the soccer player who was talking about using CBD oil at the Olympics has been praised for being, you know, an advocate for cannabis Rapino. now. And was it Rapino? Rapino? Yes, Rapino? yes, Rapino. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, you know, Megan Rapinoe, she, she, there's a lot of people who are talking about the contradictions that exist that, you know, she's having interviews where she talks openly about uh, about this. But then Shikari Richardson was denied entry into the Olympics for it. And then in this, you know, same way that Michael Phelps has now been really uh, elevated as a, a champion of mental health and also a cannabis user, someone who smokes all the time. And mm-hmm. even when Shikari Richardson was denied entry, um, him and a number of ab- other athletes said they posted pictures of themselves winning the Olympics saying I was stoned when I won this or like I was high, like in order to show solidarity. But it's really it's important that we understand that the black women who take care of themselves are going to be criticized. But the white athletes um, are going to be elevated and seen as champions or heroes for for really taking care of themselves and not, let, you know, and it's and that is that double standard is just racist. It's just racism, general racism and misogyny. One of the things I want to mention specifically about this uh, this THC cannabis rule as it relates to um, sports and the, the World Doping Association or whatever it's called, um, mm-hmm. most of the pressure to keep marijuana on the on the list of banned substances came from the United States. Uh, that, yeah, I would just I just heard that recently on, on a program where they were talking about it. They, because there are many people who know that there are some, including mental health benefits to to cannabis. But uh, of um, course, and, and so the whole idea, and and, there, and there's little, I mean, there's no, no question that it is not a performance enhancement drug, and you know, at so all. Some of this was just, it, it, and again. You can't help but think some of this stuff has a racial component to it. It does. It has a racial component to it. You know, the, we cannot ignore how much uh, cannabis has been criminalized within the black community, how it has been weaponized in order to continue to incarcerate um, specifically black men. The policy of stop and frisk was also related that we cannot ignore the history uh, of the interconnectedness of weed and racism. And the Olympics have really brought this conversation forward. There's been some really interesting and important um, discourse happening online about these contradictions, which I, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that people are doing that labor. And I really hope that it continues because 
it's it is just racism. It's not even just oh, it's a double standard. That double standard's based in racism. Well, and, and we and we certainly have seen that in in the way there's been such a shift towards criminalizing addiction, towards treating addiction. We know that that has been impacted dramatically because of who we're being regarded, who are we considering the addicted? And when it was people of color, then it could be criminalized. And when, you know, when addiction and, and overdoses came into the white community in, in the way it did with this, this heroin and um, uh, opioid uh, addiction, all of a sudden, you know, now, after you know, decades of criminalizing people of color, um, now it's it's being viewed as a sickness uh, rather than you know than a crime. I, I, absolutely, I, I think that this the global platform of the Olympics for these larger conversations about black wellness, about um, you know about black women thriving, about mental illness, about cannabis. This is this is the platform that will hopefully reach the most audiences and really start to push back against this narrative and really push back against this history of criminalizing black people um, for cannabis usage when white folks can get away with it um, in a totally different way, in a totally different manner. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, again, I, I, I do wish Simone Biles the best. Um, I think she has proven herself to be the best. And, and I'm glad that she I'm glad she had the courage to do what she did, because it would have been real easy for uh, and, and we've seen athletes do this before, um, you know, of, of, of any any color, um, ignore their bodies and place themselves at, at higher and higher risks. And and I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that she had the courage to, you know, to withdraw from these events, because anybody who's suggesting that she you know, that she's a coward. Um, just doesn't really even understand the doesn't understand what courage is. I totally agree. I I commend her, and I hope that people continue to be inspired by her. And this is a wonderful direction for for mental health for people of color. Yeah. Well, and and I will say I'm glad that she has you know received the support that she has gotten, but. But it, it just seems so typical to see the, the, the white right of the United States just come out, you know, uh, in the way they have. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just terrible. Hey, I, I do want to mention as we as we close up, um, Saginaw Grant passed away today. And, um, and so I want to, you know, um, you know, extend my condolences to to all those who have been close with Saginaw over the years. And uh, uh, and. Yeah, wish them wish them good healing as they grieve grieve his loss all right hey the regan thank you so much a great show uh, thanks for for participating i want to thank all of you for listening uh again support wpfw and wbai and uh, we're off next week on wbai we'll do something for wpfw still but uh we'll see you we'll see you next time this is john kane with regan DeLoggins for resistance radio Yahweh.